The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning, and um, welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. I am Bennett Kelly um, with the Internet Law Center, and you may be seated. Um, today's session, we have a, we're going to start off with a discussion about where we stand with the Amazon tax, particularly in um, California, where it appears there may be a deal in Sacramento on that. Um, in the second half hour, we're going to be talking with an advertising legend. Um, who goes by the name of Q, and um, that discussion should be interesting. We'll talk about him a little bit further in the second segment when he comes on. But um, so I have with us today um, Lisa Picarill, who is a consultant um, and works with the Performance Marketing Association. And um, Lisa, are you with us? I am. Um, so, Lisa, very briefly, we've had a number of states that have had some action this session um, in the last couple of months. And, and so far, the scorecard for this year is um, Illinois, Connecticut, Vermont, Arkansas um, have adopted an yes. Amazon law. Yes, those are the ones that have passed it, although Vermont won't go into effect unless 15 more states pass. And um, it's been killed in Arizona, Louisiana, Maine, New Mexico, Nevada, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas this year. And it's still in play in three places, and that's California, Massachusetts, and Minnesota. And uh, before we go to California, what what is the outlook look like in Massachusetts and Minnesota? Um, I think it's really hard to determine the outcome in any of these things. We've had instances where um, we thought it was going to go our way, and then there was some last minute dealings, literally at you know eleven o'clock at night, where things changed immediately. So um, I don't like to make any predictions. All I can say is that. If people don't want this to go through, then they need to stand up, contact their legislators, be heard, write a letter, speak with someone, attend a hearing at the state house, organize a lobby day, whatever it is, because it's not a done deal until it's done. And that, that's definitely true. Um, now, in California, there were reports in, um, yesterday that um, Governor Brown and the Democrats had reached a deal on a budget that would include um, three ver- three versions of the Amazon tax. And um, but my understanding is that um, Rebecca Madigan is at the governor's office as we speak um, discussing the matter. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I believe that she has a meeting in the governor's office today, and that's why she couldn't be here um, to discuss this. But the budget... Um, really needs to be signed by Governor Jerry Brown 
probably by July 1st, which is tomorrow. So, um, you know, she's going to have to work pretty hard um, to do some convincing over there. Well, she actually told me that the, the meeting was at 10 a.m., which just happens to be the, the coincide with the show. So I, I encouraged her to conference us in, and um, but I, I, I don't suspect that will be the case. But um, what has um, where do we stand in California, and and what what have been the, the movements in terms of um, what has led led us to get to this point in California? Well. I think I think we've been going through this in California for three years now. There's yes. been several times that particular bills have been passed. Um, one particular legislator, Nancy Skinner from uh, the Berkeley area here in Northern California, has put something for three years in a row. We've managed to beat it back each time, and the last time the governor vetoed the entire budget, and that was when Arnold Schwarzenegger was in office. And um, so it did not go through. This time, Governor Jerry Brown has enough support to pass the budget without the Republican support. And typically what we find is, although it doesn't always skew along party lines, that the Republicans are more hesitant to pass something that can be seen as a new tax, whereas the Democrats are not necessarily so inclined. So if he has that support, we'll likely see that there will be um, two nexus tax bills. I think you call them the Amazon tax. We call it the affiliate nexus tax, and that's AB 153 and AB 155, along with a related bill that has sort of much larger implications for people in the state, and that's called SB 234. Now, um, just uh, by way of background, in, in California, um, under various um, state initiatives that have been passed, uh, including Proposition 13, um, a, in order to pass a budget, it requires two-thirds vote of both houses. I think you know, California is one of the few states that have that requirement. And then, and then also to do so, you also and that you need the same require, vote requirement for any tax increase. And so I think what's going on here is that um, what is happening is that the um, the Demo- by by doing an Amazon tax they avoid having requiring having the two thirds vote on the the tax. Well, um, the because thing is, it isn't that's, a that's not considered tax, a tax, right? What they're putting it forth as is this is kind of a modification to an existing tax. Um, California has requirements about paying use tax for purchases. Um, Mm -hmm. And what they're attempting to do is say that this is simply an enforcement of a tax that's already on the books. So I think you're right about um, there being different requirements for this to go through. And and because the the governor Brown hasn't been able to reach any agreement with the Republicans, um, this is a way for him to get, get a budget through without having to get their support. It seems more or less, and um, and the other thing in terms of whether um, this being a modification of an existing tax, I, mean, I just this week I've actually been um, responding to an audit um, by the the Board of Equalization uh, as to my um, out of state um, online purchases. So yeah, it is a real tax. I mean, the whole question is is whether or not this this issue is whether or not um you know certain out of state retailers should be required to collect the tax 
And um, but yes, California residents are still obligated to pay, as as I've been reminded. <laughs> and and I think one of the most troubling parts about that we've talked many times. Um, at the PMA about these affiliate nexus taxes where affiliates are sort of collateral damage in a fight where cash-strapped states really are seeking to use affiliates to claim that they constitute a physical presence for an out-of-state retailer, thus making that retailer obligated to collect sales tax from the residents in that state. Um, and unfortunately, what happens is the retailers choose to sever their ties with the affiliates, so there is no nexus, so there will be no revenue for the state. But one of the bills, which is slightly different, and that's SB 234, this is a bill that seeks to give the Board of Equalization um, additional authority and jurisdiction over determining what constitutes nexus. So I think there's sort of a wider fear, or at least there should be within California, given the technology companies that we have. This, the Board of Equalization, if this passes, could in fact say, um, if you're hosting something for a company that's out of state, if you are consulting to a company that's out of state, if you're partnering with them, if you're doing work for them, uh, you know, all kinds of things you constitute nexus for them. And I think that would severely hamper the economy of California, given the technology companies, the partnerships that they try to form with other people. And if this goes through, I think it's going to have simply devastating effects to a wide variety of people in the state. Now, um, on that point, the, it seems that... Um have we heard much in terms of whether or not company, retailers are going to be terminating the California affiliates? Um, yes. I mean, privately, we've heard from merchants who will terminate affiliates. And, you know, publicly, we've seen this happen in every state where the law has passed. It becomes um, almost immediately merchants begin to terminate affiliates um, because they're fearful that that uh, they could owe back taxes on this, be forced to collect for, I, I think there was one case, um, and I apologize that I don't know exactly which state it was, but they were saying that some of these merchants owe, now owe taxes since this past, going back to 2008. So well, That was um, North Carolina. They, they were trying to push it back to 2003. Yes. Um, so they they, they claim that it was just a um, clarification of existing law, even though they had a press release that said this was a major tax change. <laughs> um, the other thing is that we have been told, unlike in um, Illinois when it passed in March, and that it would begin that it would be effective uh, beginning July first. We've been told that in California this will be effective immediately. So if the governor is to sign the budget today or July 1st, this would go into effect immediately. So we expect to see a lot of merchants sending out termination letters to their affiliate partners. Now, um, in terms of um, where, where we stand, do you, is there a likelihood of an immediate court challenge? Um, I think those are the kinds of things that need to uh, be evaluated very carefully and you know, there's particular reasons why Illinois was 
sort of ripe to be sued by the uh, PMA, and it was given particular language. And um, so I can't say that this would be immediately challenged, um, but I do think that there are a lot of groups involved in this uh, that feel it's harmful and may look to see if if a lawsuit would be the best course of action. Now, if assuming Cal- Governor Brown uh, you know, buys into the Amazon tax and or the affiliate Nexus um, bill, the um, at that point you will have the three of the five largest states in the country will have will be Amazon. Um, States um, that would be New York, Illinois, and California, and in terms of all the states that will have adopted it, including the, the very populous Vermont, um, yeah, they would represent about a little over a third of the U.S. population, um, over a third, and close to forty percent, I believe, of the sales tax collected in the U.S. and then. Uh, over a third of the GDP of the country, and I mention that because is there a certain point when a f- um, retailers will will not will be be able to terminate in-state affiliates just because it's it's um, not economical? You know, they're ceding too much of uh, the market by doing so. Um, I'm not sure. I think that individual retailers have to take that you know based on their particular business and what's going on with them. In some cases, affiliates, while a very successful channel for them, um, and and there's a very good ROI for them, it might only be a single-digit percentage of their overall sales, and they may feel that they can make that up elsewhere through other methods of advertising to still communicate to the individuals in those particular states that they're trying to reach. So, um, you know, I think it's a case-by-case basis. And, uh, you know, there are some people that are just sort of so fearful of it, some merchants who are much smaller, that the cost to implement something like this, the tracking, um, there are over 7,000 I think it's like 7,500 tax codes throughout the U.S., the cost of implementing a system on their back end to track all that would be so costly and complex for them that it isn't worth the amount of sales they garner from affiliates. See, I think, and that's one of the reasons why I think this has been called the Amazon tax, because Amazon makes that same argument but at the same time, they're doing that every day on the back end for other companies. And, um, and so that's why Amazon, I think, is such a juicy target um, because of the fact that they're on both sides of the issue and because of the fact that you know, they're, they're the biggest out there. And we're talking, you just say Amazon, people understand you're talking about a lot of money. Um, well, I think it was initially called the Amazon tax because um, one, a lot of the groups that sprang up to sort of try and combat this were small booksellers that really felt that Amazon was harming their business model. And I think that's sort of where where some of this came from. But you're definitely right. I mean, Amazon is sort of the big, the big target in all this. Now, um, you make a good point in talking about the, you know, the kind of what they call the Main Street, you know, booksellers and stuff who've been... Um, objecting to Amazon's um, margin advantage because of not having to collect the sales tax. 
But you know, Amazon has gone much beyond just being a bookseller. It's become this mini Walmart. And it, it seems that because of that, one of the main proponents of the, the Amazon tax is now Walmart itself. Well, there's no denying that, you know, Walmart is funding a lot of the effort for the Stand with Main Street and the Main Street E-Fairness Act, along with other large retailers like, I believe, Sears and Target and folks like that are involved as well. Um, you, you know, Amazon has created a, a business a business model that is extremely profitable and they've begun to take business from even the big box retailers. And this is sort of, I think, their way, the big box retailers' way of trying to, they say, level the, the playing field. But, you know, I think in a, in a way, and this is just, you know, my personal opinion, I don't want to speak on behalf of the PMA for this, I think Walmart is getting a bit of a dose of their own medicine when they put mom-and-pop retailers out of business you know, for the last 15, 20 years, they said, we're sorry, but we have a more successful way of doing business, and you're going to have to cope with that. And now the Internet is a easier way to do business and for people to shop than going down to their local big box retailer. Hello. Hello. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I think I, I I hit the wrong button. I may have to, I, I disconnected. <laughs> um, you were saying that you know, basically that Walmart was getting a dose of their of their own uh, medicine because of what they had done to Main Street, and then I, I think I lost audio at that point. Um, did, what else? Did you, had you finished that point or? Yeah, I, I just think Walmart is really getting a dose of their own medicine for, you know, over a decade now. They've been telling mom and pop Main Street, so-called Main Street retailers that, you know, they have a business model that has evolved and that, you know, that's why they're able to be so successful and that's why they're putting these people out of business. And now what they're, what Walmart is seeing is the Internet has created companies that have a business model that's even more highly evolved and that's, you know, putting a crimp in sales for Walmart. Um, but what is really ironic is that, uh, that Main Street retailers have sort of bought into this e-fairness and are siding with Walmart in this. And I think Walmart has no interest in helping the mom and pops furthering their own cause, which is eliminating Amazon. And retail, retailers would be much better off to hook up with the online merchants, figure out how to evolve their businesses and some of the tactics that performance marketers and search marketers and affiliate marketers use to make themselves more successful and survive in this economy. Well, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk with Lisa further about the Amazon tax and particularly uh, what what is the lost revenue um, due to the, the termination of affiliates to offset any gains of the Amazon tax. So we'll be right back. 
Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Oh, this is intolerable. Guys, just catch the catch, catch them. Just, just land your helicopter and use your feet or something. Webcology. I swear there's a helicopter hovering like or just circling around the neighborhood I'm in for no apparent reason. <laughs> catch them already, fellas. Catch them. Do something useful. Live broadcast Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Understanding that the like button is actually going to provide a signal. Oh my goodness, why whenever I have something to say, do the police have to fly their helicopter right over my head? It's so unfair. Only on webmasterradio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we're continuing our discussion of the Amazon tax, particularly um, where we may stand in California. Now, now Lisa, one, one of the issues is that um, they always we always hear how much the Amazon tax may bring in in terms of revenue. But we hear very little in terms of what it may cost in terms of lost revenue due to any offsets from termination of affiliates. And I saw one document that said that basically for every $2 that come in for the Amazon tax in California, you know, $1 um, would be offset by $1 in lost revenue to affiffiliates. Um, well, I don't know that- if that's really the way that we do the calculations here at the PMA. And there's a couple reasons. We don't believe that any revenue will be generated by this. Um, we believe that affiliates, there are more than 25,000 affiliates in the state of California. And in 2009, collectively, these businesses paid about $124 million in state income tax. So we estimate that the average is a range between about maybe 30 to 50 percent um, of income will be lost for all of those affiliates. So those people will lose their income, um, that percentage of their income. And in many cases, some of these businesses have said, 
we will move out of state if this if this is enacted, and we will mm-hmm. leave. So that's all of that income that the state will lose. In addition, the state will not realize, you know, whatever figure they're throwing out there, I think it was like $230 million or something or $200 million in California. They're not going to get that money because when Amazon overstock and a slew of other merchants terminate affiliates, they will not have nexus under this law. Therefore, they will continue to sell to California residents without collecting the sales tax. And there's no effort to ensure that, uh, you know, residents like myself, there's no policing that I'm actually remitting the sales tax, which is my obligation to do. And I do do it. Now, um, if this goes through in California and who knows, maybe another big state, do you see anything happening in Washington in terms of um, a reaction to the adoption of Amazon taxes or whether um, things are just too divided up there for to really get anything done? You know, I'm, I don't really focus on that in my dealings. I know that there are a lot of people that would prefer to see a federal solution enacted how that will come and in what form, I really don't know. Um, there, you know, is the streamlined sales tax initiative that has been around for a while. I think that 23 states have adopted that. But even here in California, um, they've talked about the fact that it's there's so many things that would be necessary to be done to enact that, including um, sort of some revision of the California state constitution in order to enact it, that it could take 10 years. So it isn't necessarily a completely viable solution in its current form for people, but I know that there are uh, groups and organizations that really would like to see a federal a solution at the federal level. And in fact, the state of Connecticut has said that the reason they passed the bill in their state was that they they realized no additional revenue would be gained from it, but they hoped to bring attention to the issue so that it could be dealt with on a federal level. Interesting. I mean, usually states are very much guarding their own authority, and here you have a state that says, here, I'm, 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 I'm acting on this issue so you can step in and tell me I'm right or wrong. Well, I think that they would like to see a federal solution, but, you know, in the meantime, that doesn't help the people that were hurt in Connecticut that had very viable and thriving affiliate businesses that have been cut off from the out-of-state retailers. And, I mean, even companies like Overstock basically thumbed their nose at Connecticut and, and in fact, began running a promotion that uh, that encouraged uh, Connecticut residents and gave them additional discounts for purchasing from Overstock. So they were basically saying to the government, guess what, you're not going to get the sales tax, and now we're probably going to get more money from your residents because we're using an enticement to get them to shop more with us. Now, um, it's been several years since New York became the first state to adopt the Amazon tax. And has there been any studies, you know, now that you've had the, the passage of time, on what the impact was on the affiliate community? Um, in, I in New don't York, that know is? 
specifically, um, I haven't seen any formal studies. And I think the thing about trying to get any information or studies about the impact of this is that there are so many people that may have been doing it on a part on a part time basis. They have another job. They do it at night. You know, there are affiliates who, for various reasons, not because of nefarious practices, but just because of, um, you know, having a competitive advantage, don't want to expose themselves or say who they are or what their website is uh, because they don't want competitors to know. So it's a very difficult thing to pinpoint how many people were directly impacted by this. Um, not, I guess that is a hard thing because it's not like the um, affiliates are organized into a single you know unit or um, you know there really has been a lack of data which which also has been a, a hurdle for the, the affiliates I think because you know you have they're up against the State Department of Finance or whatever they may be called and you know they they can generate data all they all they want. Um, whether or not it's accurate is, an, is another matter, but um, that they at least have that advantage over the affiliates. Yes, and I think that, you know, we have at the PMA have worked hard to um, sort of work in conjunction with some of the big networks to kind of use not proprietary information, but general facts and figures that can sort of be, um, you know, compiled and maybe extrapolated to uh, give a better profile of the affiliate community, but it's not as though even some people who are doing affiliate marketing, they may not even define themselves as, a, as an affiliate. You know, they may call themselves something else. They may be running a business uh, that pertains to one particular thing, and then they're blogging and making money through affiliate links on, on a site, and so they don't define themselves that way, but they're still going to lose income because they actually are an affiliate. Now, in, in terms of uh, this issue now, as you mentioned, has been churning in California for three years now, and um, it's four or five years old now, considering when it started in New York. You know, have you seen uh, a steady growth of in, in um, activism and awareness within the affiliate community? We see that the grassroots efforts have continued to grow. We have states, um, even smaller states like Massachusetts, where there was a huge population of very active affiliates who came out. In some states, it's a little harder to find people um, and to sort of rally them together. But we, what we find is once people begin to get involved, it's something that they feel very passionate about and it becomes um, a real cause for them. And it's not necessarily just about their livelihood. It's about influencing change, being involved in their government, seeing you know, opening their eyes to what's going on and who's making decisions about their lives and their livelihood. So we find that sometimes it is a little bit difficult to rally people, but once we do, they continue to be involved. And in some cases, no matter what happens in their state, they'll actually ask if they can participate, if there's a way for them to help in another state because they they've sort of gotten the bug and feel passionate about this. You know, I was at uh, AFCON in, in Denver last year, and 
uh, I believe one affiliate mentioned that before he got involved, um, and he was a Colorado affiliate, and he wasn't even aware of where the capital was. <laughs> and it turns out it wasn't it was only just down the street from him. But um, but now he definitely knows, and he, he he's definitely going to be, be there. Um, but um, I'm afraid we're running out of time. Um, any last thoughts on California, where you think you might end up? You know, it's it's really hard to predict, and I'm sort of hoping for a miracle today. I'm hoping that people will see the logic and the rationale of the arguments that um, that small businesses and affiliates are making in California. That they'll realize there'll be no. Um, realization of this revenue that they expect and that it won't go through. But unfortunately, you know, there there is a likelihood that we'll see this pass with the governor's budget. Well, I told Rebecca to, to practice her arm wrestling. So, um, <laughs> so hopefully the meeting with the governor will be fruitful. But um, at least thank you. Thank you for having coming on the show and, um, and giving us an update on where we stand and we'll keep everyone up to date on um, what's happening in California as we know it. Um, we're going to take a short break and when we come back we're going to have Q um, when we get back. Thank you. In Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. MySEOTool.com is your all-in-one SEO management resource. MySEOTool.com makes line-by-line detailed reports, help you identify any problems, and show you how to fix them. MySEOTool.com is completely automated. Once you use it, you will see a rise in your search rankings and traffic. Try MySEOTool risk-free today. Go to MySEOTool.com. MySEOTool.com. Our clients have earned over $1 billion. Now it's your turn. With over 20,000 products to promote across a huge variety of niches, ClickBank provides countless ways for any affiliate to make money. You can promote any product immediately. No contracts required. Looking for recurring commissions? Upsell products? ClickBank's got them. And best of all, you can make up to 75% commissions. Ready to become the next ClickBank success story? Sign up now for free at ClickBank.com. If you're looking for a new multifaceted SEO and social media tool set, look for The Raven. Raven has the important tools that every internet marketer needs. Raven offers customized metrics for managing link building campaigns, social media campaigns, with campaign reporting and research tools that you can easily manage. Build up campaign performance for your clients and give your team the tools that will make them soar. If you want to increase your internet marketing revenue, look for The Raven. Go to raventools.com. That's raventools.com. They are a part of an industry that makes tens of billions of dollars every year. People hang on to their every word of their business strategy, even the prepositions. These are the internet millionaires you have read about and whose secrets you would love to learn. They are the most inspiring and intriguing people in affiliate marketing. When I want to build relationships with the best and brightest minds in affiliate marketing amongst lush tropical surroundings, I come to AFCON 2011 Miami. 
AFCON 2011 Miami, October 13th through 15th at the Fairmont Turnberry Isle in Miami, Florida. Register and learn more at AFCONEvents.com, AFFCONEvents.com. Come, my friends, to AFCON 2011 Miami. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. have with us um, a man who's um, quite quite a legend in the advertising field, um, and particularly interesting that he just goes by the name Q. Um, Q is one of the few advertising creative professionals who has taken home gold awards in every media category, print, radio, television, outdoor, interactive, and he's won some 200 major industry awards. Um, Q is part of Godfrey Q and Partners. And he's here today to kind of give us his, based on his wealth of experience, um, the, the laws of Q. Q, are you with us? I am, Bennett. Good morning to you. How are you? All right. Thank you for joining us. Thank um, you for having me. And we, where are you calling from today? San Francisco. Well, I hope things are nice there. Um, well, San Francisco, and, it's, you know, usually 65 and foggy, and it's 65 and foggy. <laughs> There you go. Although, what is it? This is the, uh, the what was it Mark Twain said about the coldest winter he ever spent was the summer he went to San Francisco? Yes, he did say that. July is actually, no one believes it, but July is actually our coldest month. I, I was shocked. I remember um, my, when I first moved out um, to California, I was actually in, in L.A. when they had the World Cup finals, and I um, I flew to San Francisco that night and met a friend, and I was just struck that he was wearing a parka. And uh, I guess that was July. And uh, <laughs> so I, I in any event, not. I have Q, worn well, a hat and gloves to walk my dog in July at night. It's that cool. Well, but, you know, on the other hand, you know, November, December, when the rest of the country is having blizzards and we watch Chicago news on TV, you know, it's 70 and sunny. So it has its so, moments. So, Q, you've had quite a varied experience in this industry. And, um, I, I think just about uh, everybody in this industry now has had a pretty varied experience. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's just adapting to everything, all the great changes from social media to the rise of interactive media. And, um, but you know, you've had, you raised some, when we were talking earlier, you raised some interesting issues. And, and one of them was actually um, about the connection between um, advertising and Sarbanes-Oxley. Could, could you elaborate on that? Well, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley, um, you know, for um, all of its good intentions, is um, um, it's kind of put a lot of companies in, in an interesting uh, conundrum because everything has to be um, declared and paid for in the quarter that it's bought. Um, and the idea of that was obviously so that people couldn't, like, you know, push their, you know, um, numbers out on their books into quarters and 
and, and book things that weren't spent. But what kind of sort of happens in, in a lot of companies, and, and particularly large ones, um, is that um, budgets are also dependent upon the street. And it's, it's uh, advertising is sort of an interesting thing because uh, advertising is something that you cut and you don't notice it for a while. It's on Wall Street. You need to pick up a few pennies. You can cut the advertising budget and nobody will really know. You know, you won't, you won't see the dip for a while because it takes a while for, you know, the impact of advertising to work. And I'm talking about, you know, broad general awareness advertising, you know, television, print, out of home, things like that. Obviously, in, in a lead generation model, you notice it right away. But for general awareness stuff, you can kind of cut it. So advertising is kind of this budget that's, that a lot of people feel, you know, they can dip their hands into in, in an emergency. And the other half of it is is that the budget because the budget is so flexible and because Sarbanes-Oxley is so rigid you find people who in any given quarter you know will suddenly end up with 400 or 500,000 dollars of budget that they have to spend right away and it's a huge panic on how do we spend this and it's just you know it's kind of an ironic thing because it's not a very smart way to spend money in a panic no and and also there aren't a lot of places to spend it um Usually, you can't dump large sums of money in advertising in in one spot. And you know, it's just one of those conundrums that I don't think anybody saw when they crafted the law. You know, because that's not what they were thinking about. You know, it's just, it's just, you know right. I mean, they were thinking about Enron. And, um, and and although Enron did do some advertising, but they, they weren't. There wasn't a huge advertising presence. Now, you also have some thoughts about the recent Supreme Court ruling uh, this week on. Um, the California law regulating um, violent video games. Well, I think that's, you know, it's, the gaming thing is very interesting to me on a lot of levels. Um, I, and I, I think the ruling is sort of interesting, too. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not a lawyer, although my brother is. Um, the idea that, that video games are a form of free speech is interesting. You know, comparing um, violent video games to the Grimm's brothers is, is, um, is, kind, of, is kind of an interesting thing, too. And, and it's... it's um, the, the idea that, that, you know, it's an unregulated thing, unlike, you know, movies um, where, you know, movies, have, whether you understand the rating system or not, movies are rated. You can't just, you know, take small children to, to movies. And, and the video game thing seems to, uh, the video game really seems to find the face of that. So it's, it's kind of an interesting thing because the Supreme Court, with that and also with the, you know, the corporate advertising as free speech, too, is, it's kind of an interesting thing what free speech is becoming, you know. Um, also, Although the, the movie rating system is, is voluntary, it is not a state law. It is actually um, something that you know the MPAA has set up, and movie theaters adhere to uh, on their own choosing. It's not a to my knowledge, it's not a state law that you can't allow people uh, under the age of seventeen into an R movie. For example, um, I think the law doesn't. I may be mistaken about this, but is the law doesn't say on the one under seventeen permitted without an adult? Right. I mean that's the MPAA requirement, but um, I just um, I don't believe that is the that that's a state law, but that that is just um, you know, movie theaters um, movie theaters adhere to that um, voluntarily. Mm, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. The other thing that, that about gaming is, is sort of interesting to me is that, you know, as gaming is becoming sort of a virtual environment unto itself, 
um, which is an interesting thing. Barack Obama, I, I believe, was the first presidential candidate ever to advertise himself in a game. Um, the Obama campaign was the first people to do that. And I think as we start seeing these virtual worlds from an advertising point of view, we're going to see more and more, um, I, would, I would say it's beyond product placement, I would see actual advertising ideas embedded in games. And I also think that we're going to be seeing more and more advertising um, as game, or rather maybe the better way to say that would be gaming as advertising. It's sort of the opposite. Um, um, one of the things that's happening in the industry is you see a lot of user-generated content now where people make their own you know, fan videos on YouTube or what have you promoting different things. And I think, you know, you've seen even large corporations, you know, run contests where, you know, you create your own TV commercial and the winner will run on the Super Bowl. Um, so that's a kind of a user-created thing. The other end of that model is I think you're going to start seeing advertisers create um, gaming environments that will be, you know, essentially the, the game itself will be an advertising vehicle, much in the same way that back in the early days of television, you know, um, corporations created their own TV shows. And for that matter, in the early days of radio. Yeah, sure, it, it, that's the, the that's the, the reason for the medium, and to an extent, I mean, absent advertising, you really wouldn't have content on, on any any of those media. True. True. Although you're starting to see, I think television is morphing. HBO has a purely non-advertising product, and they do very well just based on subscription. And that's true. I mean, I, that is true. But I guess. Um, you had to develop, you had to build the demand for the the, the content first, and yeah, I think that's totally, what, that's totally. What it's, it's been a long slog for them, you know. Um, but um, it, it's a it's it's an interesting thing in that their, their product is so excellent, you know that that it's um, that the people see the value in it. Now, in terms of you know, you're, you've been in this space for how long now? I wrote my first ad in 1976. Well, what was it? <laughs> Um, it was an ad for a credit union, actually. Okay, there's I'm sure a lot fewer of them today. But um, in terms of the, the changes you've seen over the years, what are the things that alarm you the most? That alarm me the most? Yes, correct. Alarm me the most. Um, well, I think that you know, as you know, I create advertising. I also consume it, and you know, also you know, I consume marketing like everybody else. I think one of the things that that is is um, I don't alarm might be too too harsh a word or a loud of a word, but um, the amount of data that is being collected on users and the um, the ways that that will could be used, the way that the way that it's stored, the way that it's protected, um, I think that that's going to create some really interesting challenges as we go forward. And like everything in life, it's, you know, there's a good side to that and there's a bad side to that, you know. Um, I quite like the fact that when I go onto Amazon, you know, Amazon knows by my user profile, you know, what's, what sort of new books are coming up that I'd be most likely to purchase or the, or the topics that most interest me. Um, you know, so that, there's a really good use of, 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 of data being used for marketing that, that I find to be, you know, a real benefit. Um, as we start looking at the mobile web and we start, you know, looking at uh, the proliferation of smartphones and, and geolocation services, you know, it becomes a really interesting question. If, if I'm going down the street and I check in on Foursquare or Facebook or something and say that, you know, I'm eating at such and such a restaurant and then I get a message from, you know, a, a retailer who's a block away saying, hey, you know, hope you enjoy your meal afterwards. Why don't you come down? We'll keep the store open for an hour and we'll give you a 50% discount. 
Um, is that invasive? You, you know, those things are going to start to to um, just start to happen, and it's going to be interesting how that data is used and how how customers react to it, and sort of what's considered to be helpful, what's considered to be invasive, and what's considered to be just annoying. Yeah, there there is a, a, a concern, and I guess the I guess the best um, way to articulate it is really a concern that you're being watched. Um, and I, I know that there's been reaction to, for example, the iPhones, um, the release of information that the iPhone was tracking people where they were, you know, doing geotargeting, and that that resulted in some hearings already on Capitol Hill in, in a matter of weeks. And so it's definitely something there's a high level of sensitivity to, and um, I'm kind of mindful of the experience of um, you know, companies like Nebuads, which tried to do um, deep packing inspection um, at the ISP level in, in order to target ads. And um, I remember Dave Morgan uh, objecting, or at least um, saying that it had an ickiness factor to it. And I think that was why some people were resistant to it. Um, you know, do you see, is, are you seeing advertisers reacting um, to um, geo-targeting at, at, the, at the most cellular level um, in that way, or are they quite receptive to it? Um, I think that there's, it's one of those things that's so new the jury is sort of out on it. You know, it's one of the sayings that, that we have around here is, you know, anybody who tells you what's happening doesn't know, what's, doesn't know what they're talking about because it's changing so rapidly. Um, I think that people, it depends on where you are. I think that, you know, some people are very, you know, it's like you said, the idea that we're being watched. In, in many, many ways we are. And, and I mean, in, in London, you, can, you can't practically go anywhere without being on camera. So True. Um, the whole you, there's there's almost nothing that you can do digitally that that disappears or cannot be tracked and cannot be replicated. Um, Congressman Weiner is a great example of that. You know, it's, you don't it, it's it's everything that you do online is visible somewhere by someone somehow. Um, right. The whole the whole notion of what we consider to be privacy is 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 changing. And you know, as you start looking at, at if you if you go into focus groups and you talk to younger people. Privacy to them is a much different concept than it is to somebody who's like, say, 35 or 45, right? Um, somebody who's 35 or 45 who's not necessarily a tech head, you know, um, just like an average, you know, consumer who's, you know, they got a computer, they have an email account, they, they use the computer at office. They're, you know, they're uneasy, I would say, about data. You know, they're uneasy about the idea of people having data about them, and they're not even quite sure what that data is. You know, it's not like they have a particular concern that, oh, when I go onto a web page, somebody sees where I'm going and, and, and what I'm doing. But they have the idea that stuff is being collected on them somehow. They don't really know what that stuff is. You know, they hear a lot of issues about privacy on Facebook or whatever, but they don't really understand the issues technically or maybe even socially. They're, just, they're kind of, you know, they, they feel just kind of nervous about it. It's kind of an inarticulated uneasiness. Um, when you talk to teenagers or, or, you know, teenagers, you know, kids from, you know, 14 to, you know, 18 or whatever, their ideas of, of they, think, they think that everybody knows everything anyway, so what difference does it make? You know, Interesting. They, 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 they take a completely different view of it. It's kind of like if you sit down and you, and you, you, um, you talk to, you know, 35, 40-year-olds, you know, what's the most important thing to you on the, on the, on the Internet, they'll all say email, you know. And right. if you talk to teenagers, they'll go, I never use email. 
you know, I, I use IM and I post stuff on Facebook. Why would I send an email? You know, and it's to them, email is just a, it's it's inefficient because it's a one to one communication thing. Or, you know, the idea of sending a group email blast doesn't doesn't occur to them. They just put it up on Facebook, and it's you come and consume the information as you will. You know, um, so it's it's really interesting how the whole notion of privacy is 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 kind of changing. And so I think that as you talk about people. Um, using data and things like that, I think you'll see it probably start in products that are targeted, you know, to younger people first because they're most comfortable with it. So, you know, if you're selling to 14-year-olds, if you're selling movies, running shoes, Coca-Cola, candy bars, I think that's the, the people who will probably do the, do the first real innovative work in that space because their audience is receptive to it. Now, there's a, um, a concept that's emerging in the EU um, known as uh, the dude, the um, the right to be forgotten, and um, but I hadn't heard um, that, Bennett. That's a wonderful phrase. And yeah, and and the whole idea is that you can, you know, in some of the social media sites, you're on there, you're on there forever, and um, the EU is trying to change that. But um, it looks like we're running out of time. Q, I want to thank you for being on the show, and I hope you'll consider joining us again. Um, it's been great having you, and and um, everyone. That was Q, um, and thanks again for joining us. Um, very briefly, um, just some news updates. And today is the anniversary of a couple of miracles. Um, one of them was in 1950. This is when the U.S. soccer team beat England one to nothing. And what is the well before the miracle on ice uh, was considered one of the, the biggest upsets in World Cup history. And um, although if you saw the U.S. soccer team on Saturday, um, you would think they haven't really come very far since then, but um, they certainly have, as you've seen the last few World Cups. Um, today's also the anniversary of President Eisenhower signing the um, Interstate Highway Act, um, which created the interstate highway system. It's, it's now 55 um, today. And um, it's worth noting that when President Eisenhower did that, uh, we had just as much debt um, as we do now, but he saw the value of making an investment in our infrastructure, and uh, for every dollar that was put in the highway system, $6 came back in economic activity. So that's something to consider as we can debate um, what we should do about the deficit. And finally, um, on Sunday, the Internet Law Center, which um, publishes Cyber Report, um, a regular newsletter is free on um, Internet Law Developments, um, received top prize at the um, Los Angeles Press Club um, Journalism Awards. It was named the top corporate newsletter. So um, I'd like to thank all those involved with Cyber Report and hope you'll take a look at it, um, our award-winning publication. So that we're running out of time, so that's all this week for um, Cyber Law and Business Report. I'm glad you were able to join us. Um, court is adjourned. Look forward to talking to you next week. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica saying have a good week.